Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Look what free speech has gotten you, right? And, and if free speech is going to bring a Hitler to power, are you still going to defend the rights of those people to speak? If you talk about the things that affect your daily life. The secret to being a good actor. I don't really care, actually, whether Britain remains Britain. His dad was actually murdered in front of him. Marine Le Pen has changed the Pont National. If it's like kind of like a documentary investigative reporting serialized true crime, it often gets into questions about the justice system or the media. In an uncertain world, there's always music which can be listened to in good company. Welcome to Friday 15, the show where we speak to friends and interesting people for the backdrop of great tunes and allocate 15 minutes to vote. Good question. Really good question. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem... Said Britain is just a small island that no one pays attention to. A former colony won the right to determine its own destiny. If you're listening to this podcast, and you are, you're most probably listening through a pair of headphones, which means I have the perfect sponsor with the perfect product for you. It's Studio, and they want to revolutionize the way people see headphones. Generally, fashionable headphones tend to lack the proper sound quality and the high-tech ones are bulky and not design-orientated. Studio bridge that gap while emphasizing sleek, modern Scandinavian design. To get a 15% discount on any of their wares, go to studiosweden.com, which is spelled S-U-D-I-O Sweden.com, and simply put in the code DTD when purchasing a pair of headphones. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield Brown in a wet, damp San Francisco. It's rained for days. <laughs> Today we are joined by Doug Levy, communications expert and wine connoisseur, and we have a blast from the past. One of the originals, Mick Wright, the technology, music and popular cultural journalist in... A rather cold Norwich, I believe. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, that old gag. Doug, you're not saying hello. 
I was uh, trying to fix my microphone there. Hello, gents. Good to be here. In a week, let us see Theresa May try and assert her authority over the Tory government through her cabinet reshuffle. We look at one of the most extraordinary weeks in American politics. Presidential run is a possibility. Story though, the Golden Globes, oh, yeah. big night in Hollywood, powering night Oprah all Winfrey, around. Quote, actively thinking about running for president. The talk of the town, Oprah for president. A chorus erupting overnight after Oprah Winfrey delivered a speech of presidential proportion, the Golden Globes. So I want all the girls watching here now to know that a new day is on the horizon. It was the main event in a different type of award show for Hollywood, one where activism became the accessory to vote. A sea of black dress reflecting the tidal wave shift of the Me Too and Time's Up movements. I've never seen this show of solidarity from a group of women and the men who support them and encourage them. It's extraordinary. And then Oprah's speech just was like the apex. She gave a master class in oratory that brought Hollywood to its feet and the status quo to its knees. And when that new day finally dawns, it will be because of a lot of magnificent women, many of whom are right here in this room tonight, and some pretty phenomenal men. After Oprah's barnstorming speech at the Golden Globes, are celeb candidates here to stay? Is Trump's election the turning point in American presidential politics. Over to you in the North Bay, Doug. I don't know if Trump's election is the turning point, but we've certainly reached a point where the tolerance for bad behavior finally seems to be waning. I think that's good news. What its impact is going to be politically, I think, is going to really depend on what happens the rest of this year. And that's hard to predict right now based on all the movement, uh, both in Washington itself and in each of the states. It's fascinating and exciting, and hopefully we'll have a good outcome, but I don't know yet. When you talked about the tolerance for bad behavior, you're talking about that kind of hashtag me too, yeah? Yes. Um, the, 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 the tell-all book uh, by Michael Wolf, uh, Fire and Fury, which has been uh, getting a lot of headlines here, he he did a very interesting interview yesterday where he actually said he didn't think the book was going to get so much attention because he thought everybody already knew that there's bad behavior in the current White House. The reaction to the book, I think, tells us that there's a lot of folks who haven't paid attention to that. And I think we're seeing that not just in politics, but we're seeing it in the entertainment industry. We're seeing it in the news media. We're seeing it in corporate boardrooms now. And this is long overdue, but I think we finally have at least the private sector taking equal treatment of all employees very seriously. And that will have a political impact, but exactly what it is remains to be seen. Mm. Um, Mick, um, will America's hunger for a person who can unify the country, push the Democrats into thinking that a celebrity who's never been in politics might be better than the rest of their more conventional candidates. Well, there's some problems with the argument for a start because the notion that America's just got into entertainers as politicians is like a, a bit of a mistake because Reagan was president, right? Now, I know he'd been governor 
before mm-hmm. that, and I know he had had a political career, but you've got to think of, you know, he'd the joking... Al- he'd back- also been a union leader beforehand, so... And <sighs> yeah. he, hadn't, he well, hadn't stepped out of Hollywood and then walked straight into the presidency. But, but, there was, but, there was but a gap. You've, but you've, you've done one of your classic manoeuvres there, which is you've cut me off midpoint. Oh, now, sorry. The point I was trying to get I, to I, I've missed is, these barbs, Mick. Re- there's, you know, that joking back to the future where he goes back in time and, and, and someone says, what, Reagan, the actor... Like, even though he'd done all that stuff on the national stage, to the vast majority of the American public, he's, you know, Ronald Reagan, the actor. And actually, that's what did it for him is the ability to uh, present what people think a president should be. He Mm -hmm. acted a presidency. And actually, in the end, he wasn't even with it, you know, and Nancy was running the country practically. And then you've got people like Clint Eastwood, you know, being a mayor. You've got Arnie getting you know obviously he got in on a recall election it's interesting jesse ventura there's a lot of examples for me what's interesting is oprah is more experienced than most of those people she is a you know she is the world's most successful black businesswoman probably the world's most successful businesswoman full stop um so could she do the job yeah um i think she should try and take a senate seat or to, or, or secure a governorship or do something like that first um i i mean she hasn't even said she'd run of course, the speech of the Golden Globes feels like a, a, a kind of announcement speech, but it isn't. Um, and the other question for me is, does she want to order drone strikes? Does she want to be in charge of a of, of, of a, of a brutal um, American foreign policy that fundamentally is about killing brown people? It's been about killing brown people since forever, and it will keep being about that. And does Oprah want to be that woman? Hillary Clinton had no problem being that woman. Hillary Clinton, remember, um, said about Gaddafi, we came we saw he died so she doesn't give a damn about that but i think oprah might Mm. Uh, it's a fair point why would oprah let's say that she's somewhat mulling over this i think seasoned watchers of the american political firmament and of oprah say that she actually won't run but let's just for now let's just go with this why would she run if, as Mick says, she's going to have to order drone strikes in the Yemen, etc., and why would she destroy her massive popularity with the American people? Why would she put herself through this? My hunch would be that some individuals, actually, I think many individuals, both in politics and elsewhere, are thinking about their responsibility to the nation. I Service. Think, exactly. It's... It, it's it, we're in a crisis that many of us think could threaten the long-term future of the United States. And if we care about our country, stepping up and doing something is kind of the instinctively right thing to do. Now, whether Oprah is going to best be able to do that service by running for office herself, that's a different question. But you know, even Stephen Colbert, the comedian, is talking about the personal responsibility to do something right now rather than just let bad things happen. Uh, And isn't it worth saying as well uh, and and mentioning that without Oprah, there's a fair chance that Obama wouldn't have made it in in his first election. She put money, time and her personal brand behind him at a point when his campaign was really stumbling. So it's not like she hasn't been fairly intimately involved in the political scene. 
Mm. I think that, that that's um, a very very good and salient point. And, and talking about uh, a link to Obama, Oprah's actual speech was full of commentary about race and gender in America. Does the victory of Trump and everything that that kind of goes with it now explicitly mean that Americans can actually have the types of conversations about race and gender that Obama couldn't? No. No. <laughs> Do you want to expand on that a little, Mr. Wright? I, I, I say no, because I think, I think um, it is a... America's like a massive pendulum that swings back and forth between the right and the left. Well, the right and the centre-right, really. Because um, the Democrats aren't a left-wing party. They're just not. Um, but anyway, fundamentally, I think it's not about that at all. I think it is about Hillary Clinton running one of the most um, uh, assumption-ridden, um, half-arsed, idiotic campaigns in the history of politics she should have campaigned in a number of states she didn't campaign in had she campaigned there she would have won it's not about a great swing to trump it is about a candidate who had the home run available to her and just was at bat and swung and missed that it like she is to blame or rather her campaign is to blame for trump trump was not some genius Trump was uh, an unknown quantity that could run on the Maverick ticket. He didn't expect to win. He didn't want to win. He's regretting winning. Doug. Uh, I, I, th- I think... Uh, go ahead. No, no, no. Sorry, Doug, um, respond. I think that's largely true. I think that... I think it may be an overstatement to say that Trump didn't want to win. I think it is fair to say that he didn't expect to win. I also think that the impact of the meddling from our friends in Moscow is a bigger issue than many people are willing to accept. And I honestly think that's going to be the biggest problem coming up. How much do you now, because I don't, I don't take Michael Wolf wholly at his word because he's from a journalistic perspective, he's not the most reliable commentator, but how much do you consider fire and fury to be a semi-accurate representation of the events leading up to and post the election. I think it's fairly accurate because there's very, I think the specific anecdotes are ones that we probably should be a little bit cautious about. However, the essence of the book matches and documents things that have already been widely reported and well-sourced by the New York Times, the Washington Post, NBC, all major media. The reason I ask that, though, is because and the reason I don't believe that uh, both, I guess, both from my conversations with people in the Washington Press Corps and also just just my sense and just the reading the book. The reason I say he didn't want it or, or he, he was upset when he kind of upset when he got it was that it was clear that he was planning Trump to leverage TV. the campaign into Trump TV and. It's clear from watching his body language, his behavior, his attitude, that he basically feels quite depressed. He's the first president ever to move from a, a house better than the White House. And that's an interesting thing. He's now trapped in a crappy house with a crappy experience where if he goes golfing, he gets in trouble and people are having a go at him. I, I think it's very interesting that Obama, even if he was very rich, going to the White House was something was like, that felt like an achievement to him. But to Trump, it's going to a shabby place. Well, I think what you're addressing is the fundamental difference between Trump and everybody else before him. Um, you know, 
Trump is there only because of his narcissism and self-aggrandizement and the people that kowtow to him mm. and continue to. Um, everybody else, and especially people like uh, President Obama and President Clinton and, and both Presidents Bushes, uh, you know, these are people who saw public service and taking elected office as an opportunity to serve Mm. and do it for the good of the nation. Unfortunately, Trump's actions show blatant disregard for the Constitution, let alone doing good for all of America. And that's very sad because, honestly, you know, a lot of the actions that we're seeing are worse than many people had expected. And that's a problem. Okay, I'm going to wind you back because it was interesting to hear you guys um, ha have your conversation. I mean that with, with all due sincerity because it sounds like I'm being somewhat snarky and I, I, I don't mean to. But I think the, Trump has, the election of Trump has meant that Americans can explicitly have conversations about race and gender. And but I who's think. Who's having these conversations? Or as you say that, like. Give me an example, though. Who is having these conversations? Well, I mean, the, do you mean in do you mean in the public square, or do you mean literally in the diner? No, like, I'm, I mean, I mean in the public square. Yeah, yeah. Obama had to talk around race, and yes, we had him talking about Trayvon Martin. Um, we had him talking about Reverend Wright when he was actually running. But if you actually look at all the speeches that Obama gave. Race was largely, largely absent because of, you know, he was a, he, he was a black man saying this stuff and he felt that he couldn't say things. He felt that he couldn't. I'm going to disagree with you on that because I was present for some of his speeches where he took that issue on straight ahead. He gave a more than an hour long talk to the Association of Police Chiefs. Mm -hmm. uh, this was now, I think three years ago, possibly two years ago. It was 2015, I believe. And he was addressing the violence in the inner cities. He was addressing unemployment disparities. He was addressing the racial divide head on. And all that was on Fox News, and unfortunately, most of the other media was a seven second snippet about gun violence. But during that talk, he gave real specific solutions. And that was what he did over and over again. But for whatever reason, people weren't listening and hearing. Well, there you go. Pe people weren't listening and weren't hearing. But now we have an American uh, climate whereby race, class, identity politics, gender politics is absolutely to the fore. And I think you're so wrong about this. I can't tell you how wrong I think you're about Okay, tell but, me how wrong I am. Mate. The reason I think you're wrong is because you are looking at this through a prism that I don't believe most people do. And this is the problem when people like us have these discussions is we are extremely engaged. And the point Doug just made is a very, very good point and well put. That Doug was there saw that speech understood that speech felt that obama had really addressed race but fundamentally the news media isn't covering that right so then our perception of obama is oh he's quite reticent to talk race i don't feel that but then i've uh, read a lot of his speeches and okay. even reading today about some of his speeches on race and i think 
that the most fundamental error that we can make is to allow America to be looked at through the prism of Trump now and Trumpism. Because in the same way that when people talk about the Reagan years, it's as if everyone was a Reaganite. This is a damaging thing and a dangerous thing to say America's essential soul has changed with the election of Trump. I don't believe it has. I don't believe it will. And I hope to God it hasn't, because uh, that would be a fundamentally damaging thing for not just America, but the whole world. Uh, you, you misinterpret me. And and I think that maybe us having this kind of three-way conversation, I think, um, has illuminated something for me, which is that it is the role of the media in this. And I'm not going to call the media the lamestream media or and all that kind of nonsense. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not going to go down that road. But um, those explicit conversations about race and gender... Um, American politicians have always couched them in aspirational, the golden part of the future, shining hill and all this, all this kind of stuff. Whereas what Trump has done is very visceral, viscerally, very brutally to talk about deporting millions of people, to talk about um, ungrateful millionaire sportsmen being disrespectful to the flag. So all of the and, and so it's impossible for the media not actually to report this i think i don't think the actual soul of america has fundamentally changed and i think that if you take a broad sweep of history that you that you can see that the lot of people who are not not white americans that are not white is is marginally getting better but there are many setbacks along the way the pathway of of women having their full rights uh, and their position respected in the workplace and, and in the public sphere is getting better. But that's not to say there aren't massive uh, setbacks as well. And I think that the, the future for America in being an inclusive, diverse uh, place is is one um, which is actually bright. However, explicitly having conversations about those inherent problems as something which American politicians weren't able, at least the media were not able to, f- to feel that they could actually report on politicians talking about it before. And I think it's one of the, dare I say, good things with this abhorrent presidency that we have a situation whereby CNN, NBC explicitly can talk about the fallout to do with minorities because of the policies and the utterances of Trump. Well, I agree with you on that. Then, um, good. So, there's a sort. This is a kind of a slight side alley, but it's a very quick one. So, I think I think a lot about and about um, the quote around the arc of the moral universe is long, right? And and Obama loved to use that quote a lot because you know it evokes Martin Luther King Jr. and and it is a powerful quote. But what's interesting about that, he never ever quoted it in full, and this is interesting to me because because Dr. King actually wrote. Evil may so shape events that Caesar will occupy a palace and Christ a cross, but the same Christ will rise up and split history into AD and BC, so that even the life of Caesar must be dated by his name. Yes, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. So it becomes a secular statement in the mouth of Obama, although Obama professes to have some faith, and, and, and he, he does. But in the words of Dr. King, it's about, it's about faith. It's fundamentally about faith. And I wonder how maybe we will see more pushback against Trump from faith leaders, and that will have some effect um, in the rural communities where Trump has done well. Because I think if he loses the evangelicals, and he could, that will be very, very damaging for him. And I hope that happens. 
Um, Doug, um, being a Brit, we just do not have this, this same political evangelical right that you have in, in the States. It just doesn't exist in the UK. And in fact, I forget exactly which prominent British churchman uh, wrote an article just before New Year's Day. It could have been the Archbishop of Canterbury or something. It was. Yeah, right. And he basically said, excuse the French, but like, what the fuck? How the hell can these people profess to be Christians and to be lionising, supporting, backing up somebody who has such anti-Christian credentials instinctively? Um, Explain for us Brits and for other people around the world how the evangelical right can get behind somebody who has had multiple wives, numerous affairs, lies incessantly and um, has not a charitable Christian bone in his body. I think fundamentally we're talking about people who are Christian in name only. You know, these are people who profess to be Christians but don't actually practice those characteristics that others consider Christian. And Isn't it about abortion in the Supreme Court, though, Doug? They just think he'll stack the court with conservatives, so let's keep him for that. There certainly are single-issue voters who include folks like that. I've certainly met quite a few of them myself, but I I don't think that explains the majority of them. I think a sad large number are simply greedy people who want to make more money and they don't care. They truly don't care about those who are less fortunate. And, you know, for, you know, this tax bill that is now law that is targeting those of us in the high tax states, New York and California, especially, um, you know, we're specifically being punished for being successful economically so that wealth can be transferred to those evangelicals. It makes no sense, but that's what those people voted for and they're getting it. But aren't we just engaging in the reverse bit of identity politics uh, there, Doug? Um, by saying that you know this is kind of wealth transfer to those bits of rural kind of em- economically somewhat backward bit- bits of America, and they don't deserve it. The corollary is that they say, worse to the effect of people in the blue states aren't true Americans. I, I don't, I don't have think true Doug America- said that though. I don't think that's what Doug meant, is it? I, I think uh, because in the, in the reality, that tax bill doesn't send any money to those rural people. They think it does, but they also think. Uh, the, the dark side of the American dream is that everyone believes eventually there'll be a millionaire. So you better vote for the good pl- tax plan for the millionaires because you're going to be a millionaire soon. I think you're I think exactly right. None of that money's going to rural people. It's going to Mnuchin. It's going to Trump. It's going to Trump's cabinet of kleptocrats. And I'm, I don't think the people in the poor areas are stupid. I think that they have been repeatedly attacked with propaganda that has made them feel that they that you know it's the same way that you can do it here in the UK with UKIP and say listen it's the immigrants fault even though um, the reality shows that immigrants you know use less NHS resources than than um, fewer um, NHS resources than um, uh, native people but it is it's lies that have done that and that money is going to the rich this kleptocratic class and essentially America at the moment in its government is a banana republic all right couldn't agree with you more still want to slightly understand the identity politics around evangelicals and and, and the right, which is where I came in with with this question. 
is this a case of um, fundamentally those people, Doug, and this is a question, question aimed at you, because I've never really been able to understand this, uh, coming from um, a soft Methodist upbringing, um, my view of Christianity is very much the New Testament, and maybe I'm talking to the wrong person with, with your surname here, Doug, but expecting you to be an expert on, on the New Testament, but, but go with me on this. Um, the New Testament is all about sharing, helping the least, um, the least able in society, Jesus washing the feet of the poor, etc., as opposed to the Old Testament, which is about fire and brimstone. And, and it appears to me, looking at this, as I said, from my somewhat soft Protestant Methodist upbringing, of which I'm not none of those now, that those evangelical Christians, it fundamentally, you can only understand their support of somebody like Trump if you believe in fire and brimstone and, and a vengeful God. I'm going to disagree with your characterization of the Old Testament a bit, because really the Old Testament, at least... For me and from my education is all about treating people fairly and looking out for your neighbor and doing good in the world. Um, I think the and and I've I've traveled into many 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 communities. In fact, I was recently in the middle of America, and and when I travel, I do have an opportunity to hear from people whose viewpoints are very different from me. And I do think that we have um, some number of truly religious devout people who are so opposed to abortion that it doesn't matter that nothing else matters um, and and that's actually where the core opposition to Hillary Clinton was born there literally were people who that was the moment they made their decision and nothing else mattered but then you have the people who are you know the folks that go to church once a week but turn around and do the opposite of whatever the preacher was teaching. And that's true in every religion. The problem, however, is that in the United States, in the 1980s, that, that group was coalesced as a very powerful political bloc. Uh, there's one thing I would say as well. We're making an error in looking to evangelicals and talking about the, the Old Testament. They're less interested in the Old Testament. They're very interested in one particular part of the New Testament. And you're probably there before me. It's the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is the thing that the, the, the hardcore evangelicals love. And the reason they love Trump in many sense, in many ways, and I've spoken to evangelicals in the US who talk about this, is they want there to be a war in the Middle East. Because of the book of Revelation, they want to defend Israel in a nuclear conflict because they believe that if there is a nuclear conflict with Israel, it will hasten the end times. And the end times require the right, like uh, many of them believe Obama was the Antichrist, genuinely believe that. So they think, right, we're quite near the end times when I get to go to heaven. And the next step is for a nuclear war in Israel. And this guy, there was one preacher I spoke to and he said, we love Trump because he's a tough son of a bitch. And we want a tough son of a bitch who's going to um, stop the Muslims coming in here and destroying our Christianity. And he's going to take the handle of the Middle East. I know it sounds mental, but that's what they're into. There's definitely some number of people who are like that, and it is... And they've uh, got a lot of money. Some of them have got a lot of money. That's right. Yeah, there's no question about that. And and it is 
remarkably true that a lot of these people did see Obama as the Antichrist, which I don't understand that myself. That's one of the things that just makes no sense to me. Well, they read Revelation and they talk about like there's a man in black and all this kind of stuff. And they take that to be a racial thing. Right. That's their reading of the book. they, They look at it and they go, this guy is the guy like it's crazy and the, the other thing of course is again we got stuck in the evangelicals but of course the ethno-nationalists and the the bannon wing and these the breitbart conservatives and milo yiannopoulos's um friends in the alt-right though he would say they don't like him um they're you know they're banding into this as well um with a kind of distortion of Israel, with a distortion of, like, it's odd to me, the ethno-nationalists who are sort of weirdly pro-Israel, but also hate Jews. It's mm. a very weird circle to square. Well, I, I've always thought that was, was somewhat uh, peculiar. Uh, but let, let's go on to Steve Bannon now, because you've done a neat segue there. Bannon's reputation is of a take-no-prisoners, populist, nationalist ideologue with the ear of Donald Trump. A promoter of the alt-right via the ultra-conservative news site Breitbart, Bannon was a key player in the rise of Donald Trump, chief executive of his campaign. Trump later named him chief strategist. But amid feuding in the White House, Bannon was fired, returning to Breitbart, seemingly intent on pushing hard against so-called establishment politics. He backed Republican Senate candidate Roy Moore in Alabama. Then came that book. Fire and Fury, with Bannon a key contributor to its stories of chaos in the White House, he called Trump's daughter dumb as a brick, slamming as treasonous Donald Trump Jr. with a Russian lawyer. Trump was furious and said Bannon had lost his mind. That's why Sloppy Steve is now looking for a job. Billionaire conservative Rebecca Mercer, a longtime friend of Bannon and investor at Breitbart, pulled her support for him. And today, Bannon stepped aside. Last year, Steve Bannon was viewed as the brains of the alt-right, and he obviously shepherded uh, Donald Trump to the White House. Um, He's now in the wilderness after his comments to author Michael Wolff on that book. Um, Doug, have we seen the last of Sloppy Steve? Absolutely not. He is... um... He may be evil, I don't really know, but he certainly... Yeah, he's. I was trying to be nice, but yes. Um, you know, the man may have misread his personal power publicly and politically, but he's no fool. He will be, we'll hear from him a lot. Give him a little bit of time, not much. Mick, without the platform of Breitbart, with the, the right of American He'll build politics, a new one. With, without the Mercer's money, how's he going to do that? He'll Easy. build a new one. He'll build a new one. There are other racists who will give him money. Uh, fundamentally, the guy is a an operator. Plus, he has n- he has some level of personal wealth. He did well in he did well from financial trading before he became the Bannon we know now. Um, he might look like a giant bag of pus, but he is actually <laughs> extremely like if there was if Machiavelli. Um, ate too many cheeseburgers and was a massive racist he would be Steve Bannon the guy is an operator he looked at someone like Milo who I, I had the misfortune to work with um, in the past and who was just a sort of common or garden controversialist and provocateur when he was in the U- UK and Bannon has turned him into a, a rock star for the racists it's incredible um, 
I don't say incredible in a good way. I mean, it is without credibility. But it is a problem. And no, he will get... Doug's right. Like, th- this guy will be back. And if anyone's going to bring down Trump, it will be Bannon. But the dangerous thing is, Bannon has now got... Hasn't, hasn't he, Trump brought down Bannon? That, nah. Nah, 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 nah. No, look. If, if it's, this is a Star Wars equivalent, right? This is currently the Empire Strikes Back. But for Bannon, evil Luke Skywalker... He is going to get Return of the Jedi. That will happen. He will get his revenge. Who's Bannon's father? Um, a pro- well, a mixture of Ayn Rand and Adolf Hitler. <laughs> that, uh, Steve Bannon is a really weird um, melding of uh, quite a lot of leftist politics in terms of um, popul- like the hardcore leftist populism, the notion of the common man, and then the hardcore right of... Um, you know ethno-nationalism and and hard right stuff it's a weird mix and a very he basically believes most people are traitors um it's very goebbels like it's very disturbing but the guy is a dangerous dangerous operator and trump is making an error in attacking bannon he he's the one he shouldn't be attacking um just shut his mouth and get his idiot sons to shut their mouths too yeah I, i would agree i think that trump misreads Trump misreads Bannon's business well, we and know organizational Trump doesn't, strength. Does, doesn't read, Doug. We know Trump doesn't <laughs> read. So. But, but go but on. I think, and I think Bannon mistook his strategy and organizational abilities for political power. So that's getting reset. But as, as we just heard, you know, Bannon built a very powerful media organization. You know, when he took over Breitbart, he made it into something truly influential instead of just on the sidelines. And that's not the only success that he's had. So he'll be back. All right. And stronger. Let, let's and, let... and the thing, the, the, the last thing I say about Bannon is, unlike Trump, Bannon made his money himself. Bannon built his career himself. It might be a disgusting, evil career, but Trump, has lost more money uh, you know trump is a a, a paper tiger bannon's actually got teeth um but a teeth at least at the moment without a platform at least at the moment it won't be long it will right. it'll, it'll be weeks if not you know a month like probably months but weeks before he's got some other way of of fighting back plus the media want him and he can go anywhere yeah, he's he's not going to have any trouble getting heard. And one of the things that I'm concerned about is that the folks who oppose Trump may think that they can work through Bannon to bring Trump down. And that's not going to work. No, they shouldn't touch him. He's he, he, he's nuclear waste. All right. Just very lastly on Bannon, let's say that he, uh, he has to have um, a short but significant period of time in Perda where he needs to go and lick his wounds, suck up to the Mercers again, or at least marshal his own financial resources to set up his equivalent to Breitbart, whatever. Um, who is going to now be the intellectual driving force behind the nationalist <laughs> American right in the meanwhile, in the meantime? Intellectual driving force. Okay. Well, the thing, um, is, the thing <laughs> is about Bannon, Mick, right? You and I are of, uh, we're, we're at one with uh, our assessment of Steve Bannon, but he is in- an incredibly well-read person. He, yeah, he, but he's read the wrong things and made I, the I, wrong I, conclusions. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Couldn't agree with you more. But he 
he was the thinking man's nasty Nazi, wasn't he? he Who's he... this thinking man? My God, no, like he just happens to be uh, the slightly more intelligent stormtrooper amongst the stormtroopers. There you go. There you I go. There you let go. us so not who, who is... venerate his intellect. Not, 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 not I don't know. Richard Spencer, some other right wing trash bag. Uh, who knows? It, it's kind of irrelevant. They're always there. There's always more of them to come. Hmm. Can't be Richard Spencer because he comes absolutely weighed down with utter venile racism and even if you well, he's are... making that money though oh my god the amount of money that's coming into his think tank and you look at people even look at the bloody daily storm like what is it daily stormer and those those guys are have stashed so much bitcoin and so much currency um offshore you know the nazis have got a lot of money now that's very dangerous Doug, uh, we spent the whole of this episode dealing with um, some of the issues that have been brought out, come to the fore in the last week in American politics. So let's end with you. Um, if I if I am a lazy, uh, reflective, think I'm an intellectual, venal Nazi, who is going to be my uh, who's going to be my leader now? Who's going to be the person who'll say, "Ha ha"? If they support some jumped up ex-judge who is somewhat of a paedophile in an Alabama Senate race, I need, you know, if they could say I need to support them, I need to get behind them. Who is that person going to be for the far right in American politics now, while Steve Bannon licks his wounds? I think that we should be looking to people like Kevin McCarthy, who's the House Majority Leader. Uh, he's from California, so that might make people think he's not on the extreme side of things, but you know, he's a rising star. But I also think that we're going to have a tense couple of years, or at least through the midterms this year. Um, the Republican Party is putting up candidates like the judge who just lost in Alabama. And until they identify candidates who And we've got Joe Alberto, haven't we? He's going to... Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. The, the... I mean... Yeah, if the GOP wants to be the racist party, then this is the way to go. But that's what not going to bring people in. What about Ed Martin or David Urban? Like Martin, you know, former chairman of the Missouri GOP, or uh, David Urban is like solid, very nasty Republican lobbyist. I mean, I think there's a good opportunity. Like I could see Trump bringing people like that in if he's got gaps now, which he does. I think we might even see some of the folks that were in the Trump orbit and maybe stepping away, mm. stepping up, because um, they've got the Trump blessing, I guess, um, and maybe they got out. I mean, I'd, I'd hate to see somebody like a Betsy DeVos become... Oh, Lord. Right. But but I think there, there may actually be some people like that who could do the popular, you know, the, 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 the populist thing and get some attention um, it's going to be a rough, rough year Gork is too much of a joke thank god yes and it's nice that we haven't foreign. been hearing from him <laughs> well he's been on the UK TV doing his little shtick but yeah he's um, he's pretty much a busted flush hopefully Right, gentlemen, um, that has been uh, somewhat of a good uh, kickabout, cut and thrust chat about US politics in the last week. Now it's time for our takeaways of the last seven days. 
Now it's that time where we um, somewhat get a little bit more uh, thoughtful about things which we've seen, things we've experienced in the last seven days. Going to start with you, uh, old boy, old boy Mick. What's been your <laughs> takeaway of the last seven days? I, I want to talk about the Daily Mail, and I've got two things I want to talk about the Daily Mail about. So the first one is that the Daily Mail has been um, is now not being sold on Virgin Trains. Um, now the usual free speech. I'm doing the air quotes here, which obviously doesn't work well in podcast but free speech activists are very upset and are crying censorship about um virgin not selling the daily mail on trains anymore forgetting the fact that you can still take a daily mail on the virgin trains and it's sold at every station every newspaper shop etc etc so once again fundamental misunderstanding of what censorship is censorship is about power it's about state power um a private enterprise choosing not to sell a paper anymore that's not censorship that's just a a choice in a capitalist system the second thing is um the Mick, just before you go on, just before you go on to the, the reshuffle, what was Virgin's reason for saying they said not- that they said that the um, Daily Mail's editorial line and um, attitude in various ways does not fit um, uh, the, the the way their staff want to work or um, the majority of their travellers. Now, of course, that's you know, listen, I think they may regret making that choice because it's politicised them as a company, but on the other hand in a capitalist system as i say and the daily mail loves to talk about the market the market allows companies to make a choice it's a free speech choice by the by virgin to control their space and not sell the mail hmm. fair comment the second point hmm. is a quick one it's so uh, the, the headline this morning the splash this morning um following uh, theresa may's botched um reshuffle which uh, promoted uh, uh, a lot of women and uh, what the Tories think is a large number of ethnic minority MPs, but which anyone else thinks is uh, still derisory number. Um, their headline was Massacre of the Middle-Aged Men. And all I want to say, I said this in a tweet at the time, is that the Daily Mail has run that splash in a universe where, and just using one example, in 1979, Saddam Hussein purged the Iraqi parliament on camera. That was a massacre of middle-aged men. This was just a reshuffle. That's the takeaway. Mm. Uh, Doug, over to you, sir. My takeaway for the week is uh, not necessarily uplifting, but it's important. Uh, In the United States, we've had several dozen uh, deaths in emergencies in the past couple of weeks, including a very terrible fire in New York City. There was another seven-alarm fire this past week. Um, Many of these deaths were preventable. And I just want to put out a plea for everybody to make sure you've got your emergency supplies on hand. And about half of wintertime fires are caused by faulty electric devices. Don't plug a space heater into an extension cord. That step alone will save lives. Please be careful. Oh. That's that's a fantastic message to put out, particularly for us in the, the UK in the, in the aftermath of stuff like the Granville Tower fire. We, we know that we've got some serious fire safety issues here as well so thanks Doug yeah uh, wise words indeed um, mine's my, my somewhat of a peculiar one um, I don't go to um, KFC often at all and <laughs> so, I, but I, 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 I found myself in Oakland's um, KFC yesterday uh, because I'm on this not eating carbs I just wanted to eat some chicken uh, diet that I'm on and I went you know what I'm going to uh, break the habit of a lifetime and went into a KFC I walked in there and it, and it was odd 
so there's only one person behind the counter and he was taking the orders and then like literally uh, get, getting the food etc etc I didn't think an awful lot about it until I was walking out and this guy said to me it's absolutely crazy and I went oh yeah 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 and he said that guy is working and running the KFC he's working all by himself nobody else turned up for work today because they're refusing to work for less than $15 an hour only one person turned up for work and opened up the whole of the KFC now it gave me absolute massive pause for thought um, that number one this guy was that loyal that he was running the whole place by himself that in a multinational conglomerate like KFC such a situation was allowed to exist it showed showed me the strength of um, the power of people that worked for that organization that they just absolutely did down tools you know they down their uh, chicken drumsticks so to speak and said no you know it wasn't good enough and i've been i've been really thinking about what to actually do or say um, about this other than it just absolutely perplexed me and on the one on the one part on the one side i thought you know what good for you that you will want to try and man this operation but the people who you're working for you're much better than you know it's quite as simple as that but go it, there's just a couple of things and i think I, I i always love this because you are what i really love about you is you always you look at these things and you do start to unpick them and and that's brilliant but what i would say is there's a couple of things one you're right it could be loyalty but i also see desperation in it I see desperation. I don't see loyalty. I see desperation. The other thing I say is KFC in most countries, I'm not sure about the US, is a franchise operation. Although pay and, and some policy comes from the top, it is about the owner of that store making, you know, deciding what level of pay to a certain extent. Um, and I think the only thing you can do, and it's something that the US is not good at, is support unions, support the notion of unions. Don't break, you know, don't, you'd never cross a picket but don't cross picket you know don't encourage people to scab i think that's important and i think in this case this guy must have been working there out of desperation because he really needs the money and he can't afford to strike well but yeah, it's the, unfortunate you know what that's what i was actually going to go on to say because you don't know whatever the heck he's got going on in his life and whatever the reason why he needed to turn up to work and actually man the fat fryer uh, take people's money wipe down the tables you know he, he was absolutely doing it all but yeah whoever he was and I didn't go back in and ask him his name but whoever he was um, he's worth much more than whoever actually employs him uh, absolutely but then, well, yeah yeah no I totally agree with you right it's good to have you back Mick <laughs> Doug, it's been great having you. Just very quickly, gentlemen, why don't you just tell us what you're up to at the moment before we wrap up the show? Uh, let's start with you, Mick. Oh, okay. Um, okay, so, yeah, um, I just finished a book. Uh, that might be out this year, so that's good. Um, the other thing is I uh, started a new uh, side project called The City Report. Um, each month it, uh, it's about uh, a city and it's original reporting about a different city each month. Um, the first city is, is Norwich, where I was born. Um, and the first story we put out is about Robert Kett, um, who was my ancestor, and he he led a rebellion that defeated the king's army twice, um, and then he was executed the third time when he didn't defeat the king's army. Um, the web address for that's really easy. It's just thecity.report. 
So um, I guess check it out if you want and uh, follow it on Twitter, which is at ReadTCR. I'm uh, putting together a series of workshops that I'm uh, hoping to deliver to public safety organizations, police departments, fire departments, public health agencies, anybody involved in getting emergency information to the public. Um, it's something I feel strongly about, and I've learned over the years that the words you choose when telling somebody something urgent will impact whether people actually hear the right message. And um, I want more people to be safe. Again, uh, wise words. Um, that has been Mid-Atlantic, the first one of 2018. It's good to have Mick back. Um, review us on iTunes, please, folks. Uh, show us your support uh, for the liberal do-gooding left of centre. You know it <laughs> makes sense. Uh, view of world politics you can follow us on social media where we are at mid-atlantic show we have a website it's called midatlanticshow.com why don't you go there and listen to some of the old episodes um also you can find us on facebook where you can type in mid-atlantic show and you can basically see the progress of what we are doing and um, that has been me royfield brown in in san francisco doug is being is in the north bay and mick has been in Norwich in the UK, a rather charming medieval city is too. See you all again in a couple of weeks' time. Bye-bye. Oh, that was brilliant. Really enjoyed that, you pair. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.